Well, good morning, everybody. Um, I need to say this really quickly. I don't know if y'all can see this from where you're sitting, but there's like a like a like a lump in the uh, in the mat. So I will inevitably trip on this. Okay, I'm just telling you right now. I, I, I'm go. It's gonna happen. But I need y'all to do me a favor and just act like it didn't happen when it inevitably happens. I, I, yeah, I've had multiple in this eyesight right here saying, yeah, I will not be pretending like it didn't happen. Thank you in advance um, and give me a gracious, um, what's it called, a gracious caption on WorldStar. All right. Um, we are now moving into week two of an otherwise brand new series called Church Close. Church, are you with me this morning? Can you say Church Close? Church Close is a series where we are going to take our time diving deep into Ephesians chapter 6, something that we have been, that has been communicated to those in church for a very, very long time, um, but is really, really, really deep and important to understand. Because I don't know if y'all feel this way. Maybe it's just me, but it's, it's a war going on outside. And I ain't talking about the snow, right? Like, it's a war going on outside of these walls, and I don't always feel prepared to handle it. As a matter of fact, most of the time, I feel very ill-prepared. And it's this passage in Ephesians chapter 6 where the Apostle Paul writes under, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit specific instructions for how to ready yourself for the war that's going on. And... To some of our surprise, the instructions have to do with what we wear. I'm not talking about the church tradition that you may or may not have grown up with. I'm talking about what we wear in the spiritual, what we carry on ourselves in order to be able to stand firm. We're going to take our time through this series. Most weeks, we will only handle one verse at a time. Some weeks, we'll only handle a half of a verse at a time. For this week, because I wanted to get the complete thought in there, I ask for your, uh, for your grace because we're going to handle three verses this morning. I know, I know, we're getting crazy. It's a lot. But I do think it's important that we get the entire thought in there. So if you haven't already and you've got your physical Bibles with you, I encourage you to turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. We're going to begin in verse 11 and we're going to attempt to tackle 11, 12, and 13 in our time together. If you don't have your Bibles with you, it's all good. It's up here on the screen. This is Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 11. The Word of God says this Put on the whole armor of God. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. I know at least 10 people that came here this morning needs me to read that part again. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, you always got to ask yourself, what's the therefore, therefore? Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day 
and having done all, to stand firm. Last weekend, uh, I went to my oldest nephew's hockey tournament. Um, and he had two games that day. I went to the earlier one. Uh, I knew that it was preferred in my house for me to be home at bedtime. Amen. Um, and so I chose to go to the earlier one. I'm at the earlier one. I'm standing next to my brother. It's the father of the boy playing. And my, my other nephew, who is the brother of my nephew that was playing, we're standing there. And the, the game had gotten to about the third period. Uh, and my nephew hadn't scored yet. And normally, you know, hockey's not really a high-scoring sport, so normally I wouldn't really think anything of it, except for the fact that, like, my nephew is like that, right? And so he scores, like, all the time. And so I, I, I just made a comment, you know, because this is how us uncles humble our nephews. Um, I made a comment about how much he's, he's, he's gotten worse, um, right? Which, I mean, I wish he could have heard me say that, um, but, he, but he couldn't you know, because he was playing, and then he scored right after I said it, but, but I, I was like, man, he's, he's, he's slow this morning, like, what, what is going on with him, right, and then I hear my nephew, his brother, chuckle next to me, he goes, he's probably saving all his energy for the later game, and then my brother laughed at that comment, now, I felt like, you ever, you know, feel like you're on the outside of an inside joke, like, why was that funny, like, why is it funny that he's saving his energy for the later game? Like, I don't, I don't get it. So I just kind of looked at him. I was like, huh? Like, what, like what, what do you mean? Then my nephew gets this real big ornery grin on his face, and he goes, well, he doesn't know, he, or he just found out right before this, but uh, his new girlfriend is coming up to the second game. And I was like, dang it! Why am I at the first one? You know how bad I wanted to be at the second one to embarrass my nephew? Oh, my goodness. I was so sad. But isn't that true, though? Isn't that true? Those of you who grew up playing sports, I am 100% positive you can attest to this, and if you can't, you are lying. The intensity that you approach the game with intensifies depending on who walks in right? When your new girlfriend is there and you see her sitting in the front row, you know you're playing harder than you were yesterday. Don't lie to me. Don't lie to me. You knew when there were certain relatives present. You knew when it was senior night and you were finally going to get to play for a couple seconds. You knew. You knew that the game was going to intensify based on who was around. I've been in this gym playing basketball long enough to see it happen depending on what guys walk in the gym, right? There are certain guys, and I won't name them because they don't need the bigger heads, but there are certain guys that when they walk in the gym from our community and they're not on your team, you automatically think in your head, oh, I lost, right? There are just certain guys that are just like that. And you know that you're going to lose, but that doesn't mean that you're not going to be real intense, on the way to taking that L, right? A lot of times, even though you know you're going to lose, you're going to give it everything you've got to make sure that you're not the one that looks bad at the end of the day, right? The game across sports, it doesn't matter which one we're talking about, across sports, the game intensifies depending on who walks in the room. The same is true of our enemy. 
The same is true of our enemy. See, while the enemy has ultimately been defeated, while the enemy's powers do absolutely need to bend at the name of Jesus, their fight intensifies when they sense the Spirit of Christ is present. The fight intensifies when people make a public declaration for the Lord. The fight intensifies when even the hint or the threat of Jesus' arrival reaches the ears of the enemy. There are three things that I want us to walk away understanding this morning. The first of which is this, understand the fight. Understand the fight. See, this fight, it ain't about you. This fight is about so mu- something so much bigger than our lifetimes. This is a fight that has been going on since, since before Genesis was even recorded. This is a fight that's been happening in the spiritual between God and Satan, angels and demons since before time can even possibly track. This has been a spiritual battle for a very, very long time. And as you read the Old Testament, you watch God's faithfulness to his people. You watch God constantly trying to demonstrate not only his power, but his goodness over the tricks and the ploys that God's people would fall into at the hands of the enemy. You watch God constantly trying to win his people back and put his family back together. But the strongholds of the enemy, for many people in the Old Testament, for many of us today, for all of us today, are too strong. They're too strong. And then there's this period in between the Old Testament and the New Testament where God is silent and it looks as if all hope is lost. It looks as if if the enemy has the upper hand. It looks as if God had washed his hands of the earth and said, you know what, Satan, you can have it. I ain't talking to these people no more. It appears as if the devil has won the world once and for all. But then there's a shift. Does anybody know what that shift is? Come on, somebody. You know what the shift is. Mark chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus announces after, uh uh-oh, being baptized, he says the time has come. Finally, the kingdom is near. Oh, also, it is here now. A.K.A., from this moment forward, the world will never be the same. The shift was the arrival of Christ. As we talked about last month, look at the way that the enemy used the systems that are in this world to try to get rid of all babies under a certain age to guarantee that Christ wouldn't be born. Look at the way that when Jesus went for 40 days in the wilderness, 
to meditate, to be at, at, at peace with his father, to receive his instruction. Look at the way that Satan interrupted. It wasn't good enough for him to send tricks. It wasn't good enough for him to try to trip Jesus up. Satan went in person, face to face. You know how much of a threat it's got to be for the boss to show up at work? He's like, nah, this ain't happening. Jesus' presence was a threat. And then the fight only intensified. As we see in his path, demon after demon, cripple after cripple, sickness after sickness, Pharisee after Pharisee, system after system, thing after thing, falling in the path of Jesus. You think that it was a mistake. The enemy knew what he was doing on the way to trip Jesus up. His fight intensified when Christ came on the scene. And as Paul writes this letter, to the people of Ephesus, the people of Ephesus would have been intimately familiar with situations like this. You can read about this, about this uh, situation in Acts chapter 19, where these Jewish exorcists went into a situation in Ephesus to cast out demons in the name of Jesus. But here's the thing. They didn't know Jesus. They went for their own glory. They went for their own fame. They walked in in the name of Jesus, but wasn't no power because they didn't actually know the name that they were calling upon. And so what happened? Those demons were like, man, we know Jesus, and you ain't him. You ain't one of his people. And so the demons beat him up, stripped him down, and sent him running out of the town butt naked. The people of Ephesus would have been familiar with this account because it happened in their community. But also what had happened right before Paul writes this letter. And one of the reasons that Paul writes this letter is because there was a group of people in Ephesus that had been saved out of a cult. And their response to their salvation was to take all of their magic books and burn them. We all been to that phase, right? Those of us who have been sanctified, you know what I'm talking about. You take all your secular CDs and you don't have CDs anymore. You take all of your playlists and you delete all the secular music. You're like, nope, I ain't listening to this no more. I'm saved now. I still miss 8701 by Usher because of those decisions. Just kidding. Jesus is better. But it happens, right? They burn all of their magic books. They're like, this is no longer a part of my lifestyle. Now, let me tell you something. If you don't think that that is a smoke signal to the enemy, you don't understand the fight. If you don't think that the very decision that you have made to accept Jesus into your life is a smoke signal and a sign to the enemy, you don't understand the fight. If you don't think that making the conscious decision to be baptized and to turn away from the things that once were a part of your life, but you have declared now publicly are no longer a part of it, that you have been set apart. If you don't think that publicly claiming Jesus in a place such as this is a signal to the enemy to turn up the heat on your life, you don't understand the fight. These things send an alert. The enemy has their notifications on. 
And it never goes to do not disturb. They're ready to respond to every move of the spirit in a way that intensifies the fight. Your declaration of faith, Christ's presence in your life, every time you manifest the gifts of the spirit, you know the one that I'm talking about, the ones that didn't possibly come from you because not that much goodness going on inside of you. It's just the spirit of God. Every time you manifest the gifts of the Spirit, it's a signal to the enemy. He gets a notification, and he's ready to turn up the heat. That's the fight that we're in. I know a lot of people, I was this way as well, look to church and look to Jesus as if it's going to make our life cupcakes and rainbows after that. And I hate to break it to you, and I hope I don't lose somebody this morning by saying this, but that ain't it. That's not how it goes. People don't just lie over when they, when they see you in the gym getting better. They're not just like, oh, we lost one. No. They're ready to fight. Therefore, I hate to tell you this, but you need to be aware. The fight is coming to you. Notice Paul didn't say, put on the whole armor of God and go get it. Notice Paul didn't say, put on the whole armor of God so you fast as heck and can run the other way. He said, put on the armor of God so you can stand right where God's put your feet because the enemy's coming to you. The enemy's got his tricks all around ready to get you. You don't got to go looking for it. Please stop going to look for it. It's coming to you. It's at your doorstep. It's at your job. It's at your school. For some of us, it's in the living room. The fight is coming to you. Now, we got to understand something else. We got to understand the enemy. First and foremost, when you look at Ephesians chapter 6, can I just real quick for free take an opportunity to point out who the enemy is not? Who the enemy is not. Scripture says, it's flesh and blood. Can I tell you that your boss is not your enemy? Can I tell you that your family that has long been dysfunctional is not your family? It's not, it's your family. It's not your enemy. Can I tell you that the person who cut you off in traffic this morning on these dangerous roads is not your enemy? Can I get more specific? Can I tell you that the president is not your enemy? Can I tell you that, that policymakers in their own skin, their own flesh and blood, that's not your enemy? Can I tell you that the person who broke your heart is not the enemy? It's not the enemy. Who is, though? Who is, though? Because for so long, we've been letting the devil win by fighting the wrong things. For so long, we've been letting the devil gain ground because we want to fight against flesh and blood because that's what we can see. But what Paul is clear to outline is that this is not a fight that you can just see with your own eyes. This is a fight that's in the spiritual. This is in a fight. This is a fight that's in the invisible realm. 
This is a fight that's happening all around us. And sometimes we can feel it. You know it's there. But you don't always see it. And you know what's awful about this fight being in the spiritual? Is that there's no, there's, there's no physical bounds holding the spiritual enemy back the way that there are physical bounds on us. The devil does not obey morality. The devil does not obey gravity. The devil does not have this, this fight does not have a code of conduct. There's no treaty on, on fair ways to fight. There is no mercy coming from the spiritual enemy. They will use anything, yes, even that thing, to get you. And understand that the enemy's real organized. Paul talks about his cunning ways. The devil's slick. He knows he ain't stronger than Jesus. He watched Jesus die and then not be dead anymore. And he's like, yeah, I ain't wrestling that dude no more. So he's got to be slick. He's going to, he's going to organize his soldiers and he's going to take up real estate. Sometimes that's in a physical neighborhood and it's been there for a really long time. Sometimes it's in a house. Sometimes it's in a place. Sometimes it's in a person. The enemy will take up real estate and he'll be real organized and strategic about it. The enemy, while it isn't flesh and blood, our spiritual enemy will use flesh and blood. The enemy will also use cultural systems. Paul talks about principalities, powers of the world. And while he's not saying you're local politicians, he is saying that the enemy can use structures like that to hold people down. The enemy will use cultural structures in a way that deifies the structure rather than the God who's calling us home. The enemy will use the state. The enemy will use politics. The enemy will use class, social structure, national interest, public opinion, accepted morality, humanity, Twitter, and even democracy. The enemy is slick and he can use those things to his advantage because ultimately what he wants us to do, this is his strategy. He's so smart. He wants to get us to make those things God. And we think that it's right because we see people unifying behind it. Well, look at the way this structure brings people together. This must be a move of the gospel. But what he's doing is he's unifying people together to drive them further away from God. The solution to your battle is not in Washington. 
Some of us are still waiting for the election or the relationship or the decision that's going to save our lives. Somebody, some of us are waiting for the economy bounce back. Some of us are waiting for the world war. Some of us are looking to worldly structures as if they're our answer. Actively doing the enemy's work by recruiting other people to our cause and our purpose. Thus driving God's own people further and further away from him. And the enemy is winning. Their strategy is to unify people, but further them away from God. Jesus talks about it like this. He talks about it as if we're all a herd of sheep. Where have you heard that narrative before? Sorry, sorry, sorry. He talks about us as a herd of sheep and then says, but then a wolf comes in. But you don't recognize the wolf because the wolf has already killed another sheep. And then after he killed the sheep, he peeled its skin off and put the skin on top of him and then snuck in the pen as if he's a sheep. But Jesus is like, can I tell you something? Ain't a sheep. When you all cry out the way sheep could cry out, bah, bah. He don't got that in him. Sometimes the only way to recognize a wolf instead of a sheep is to call out to God. And when his cry is different, that ain't it. We're not going to recognize it all the time. But we've been living into it. Can I ask you just real quick? Have you been fighting the wrong thing? Do you feel the conviction of the spirit in your heart? Have you been fighting the wrong thing? Is your attention appropriately focused on what the enemy is doing in the spiritual, or are you more concerned about the tools he's using for destruction? I got to keep going. I got to keep going. I got to keep going. We got to baptize some folks today. Let me keep going. Third point. Third point. Understand the assignment. It's okay. You can let it out. I know. TikTok and all that. Get it. I understand the assignment. There we go. Now it's out our systems. Now it's out our systems, okay? No, not one more time. <laughs> understand the assignment. As Paul's writing, he is using language to intentionally encourage us to be neither overconfident nor afraid. He's like, don't be like those overconfident Jewish folks that walked into Ephesus, your community, just a few, you know, just a few years ago and tried to do some wild stuff in the demonic. And the demonic is like, get your, get, somebody, somebody come get their friend before I get them, right? Don't go doing all of that kind of stuff. But also, also, you don't need to take cover. You don't need to hide. He says what you need to do. Is stand firm. See, what had happened was Christ already won. He already exposed the enemy. Every lie that the devil ever told, he already exposed as a lie. When he told the narrative about death, surely you won't die, and then Jesus died. Well, surely you won't be, and then Jesus got up, well, surely, surely it's better to be 
on this side. But then Jesus gave the promise of eternity. In the Bible, it says wisdom is often proven over time. Over a long period of time, we have seen Jesus prove the enemy as a liar, as a thief, as somebody who's not after your success, but your destruction. But Christ won that battle. And as Paul's writing this, as Paul's writing this, he's in chains. And specifically, the, the uh, stipulations of his imprisonment is he's not just sitting in a cell. He's actually chained and attached to a Roman soldier. That's how much of a threat. This is a side note. That's how much of a threat Paul's message of the gospel of Jesus was to society. That's how much it threatened Roman society's fragility and Jewish cultural practices that they were like, we don't even trust you because we heard this story about how other people got put in a cell and then some people sang some worship songs on the outside and the walls fell and they all got free. We're not taking no type of chances. You are going to be chained to a Roman officer. And so as Paul is writing this letter, he's chained to a Roman official. But I have to imagine that Paul is dreaming of his life in the spiritual. In the physical, he may be chained to a Roman official, but in the spiritual, he's chained to Jesus Christ. And as he says, take on your armor, he's looking at the sword that the Roman soldier carries. He's looking at the breastplate that the Roman soldier has on his chest. He's looking at the shield that the Roman soldier has for defense against his enemy. And he's like, don't chain yourself to that. Be chained in the spiritual to Christ. Put on then the whole, the sum total, all of it, every piece that Jesus offers to you. Put that on yourself the way the soldier I'm strapped to is covered the sum total of what God has given you and then you will be able to do what the Bible says stand the dangers of casual reading might cause you to miss it but proper exegetical study would tell you that when there is such repetition of a word or a phrase it means you should draw attention to it. And multiple times, over and over in this passage, stand, withstand, stand. That's how you fight this battle. You stand. As the fight intensifies, you don't bend your knees and go the other way, you stand. As the threat comes upon your family, you don't go attack it, you stand. As your future becomes increasingly more and more unclear, you don't take it upon yourself to figure it out. You stand. And Paul's fear, he expresses in verse 13, is that somebody will go out and accomplish a great amount of things. But they won't be able to stand in front of God on judgment day. Because when we're out here trying to accomplish great many of things, but we're not chaining ourselves to Christ, the enemy is going to let us. Matter of fact, the enemy is going to keep feeding us success. 
Because the more and more we think we can get it on our own, the less and less we're even going to consider turning to God. The enemy is going to keep feeding it. But Paul says, stand, don't you move from that place that Jesus puts your feet. If it looks dark and dreary, you stand right there. If it looks light and bright ahead of you, you stand right there. When the enemy is at your doorstep and he's huffing and he's puffing and he's trying to blow your house down, you stand right there. The last few years, I would say up until this past year, I felt like I was losing a really, really intense battle to depression. And if there's two things I could name that in the heat of the battle that I didn't feel like I could do, it was stand up and turn on a light. Those were the two things that I felt like I could never do. I would have to stay down, lying down, sitting down, fetal position, what have you, and keep the lights off. Jesus said, chain yourself to me. I give you the strength. I give you the vision. I give you the mercy to be able to stand. When the heat is turned all the way up in your mind and you don't feel like you can get up, God gives you the strength to stand. When darkness is all around you and you don't see no possible way of survival, Jesus gives you the light. The assignment is clear. You stand. Now I can't, I can't go through this and not, and not talk to us as a whole community, as a church. As a church, we need to understand that the fight is coming to us, right? We're not missionaries running down to the, to the city and we're going to go get it. Uh-uh. That's not the way it goes. Stop trying to do that. Stop trying to fight guns in our community with silver spoons. It don't work. The fight is coming to us. It's here in our community. It's in these very neighborhoods. I had somebody tell me over the summer, I feel a spiritual shift in the neighborhood, and it's not good. The enemy is turning up the heat on the very streets that a lot of us walk Monday through Saturday. But can I tell you why? Can I tell you why? It's because Christ is here. It's because the Spirit of God is among us. It's because no matter how much the devil is faithful to turn up the heat. God is even more faithful to overcome. God is faithful to add to what he is doing. God is faithful to bring the pieces when they're needed. God is faithful to win the battles that need to be won. God is faithful to give the land that we need to be given. God is faithful to overcome every amount of resistance of the enemy. And it is because God's presence is here that the enemy intensifies this battle. So be on guard. Be on guard. Do the things that you know you need to be doing in your spiritual discipline. 
Because the enemy will continue to cleverly deceive us. He will continue to find ways to bring us together, but to bring us together in ways that we're being led further and further away from God. Beware of the wolf in sheep's clothing. Beware of the one that you should look at and say, sounds good. But you watch as they continue to lead people astray. And lastly, be the prophetic minority. Be the prophetic minority that calls out and exposes the trick of the enemy and then stands firm on the ground the Lord has placed us on. The nature of this battle is spiritual, it's supernatural, but it's right where God placed your feet. God has put us as a body, as believers, on 1253 3rd Street, Southeast, 44707. He's put our feet right here. So we ain't going nowhere. We're not moving from this plot. But you better believe that he's coming. That the enemy is going to turn up the heat on the sidewalks that the enemy is going to wait for you in this parking lot, walk carefully and with a buddy. The fight is coming. But I need, I need to remind you that as intense as the fight gets, as long standing as the enemy seems to carry, there is one who has time and time again proved themselves greater. And so while we need to understand the fight that's going on, while we need to understand the strength of the enemy that we can't take on as Tony Stark against Thanos, we need the armor. There is one that we should cling to, one that we can chain ourselves to, that not only guarantees the victory in the long term, but make sure that we have the strength to stand in the meantime. I believe, I believe that we will see victory on this property, that we've been seeing it, and that God will keep being faithful to do all that is in his will despite the best efforts of the enemy. The question is, how many of us will be able to stand and withstand the heat and be able to stand once and for all in front of God to hear those words that we all long to hear for eternity? Well done, my good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Father God, You are greater than all elements of the spiritual and the physical. You have long shown a track record of victory. And Lord, we are thank you for the mercy that you extend to us through your son, Jesus. Because without it, we all crumble. Without it, we all succumb to the pressures of the devil.
Thank you for your mercy. Forgive us, Lord, for the ways that we stumble. And Lord, light the path. Light our feet. Show us the way. As we continue to press into your spirit, hoping for the courage to be able to withstand the heat, hoping for the courage to be able to keep playing as the game intensifies. God, we pray that as the world around us feels like it only gets worse, that we would use that as an opportunity to take out a few links of our chains and pull ourselves closer to you so that even as the world feels darkness and shame and pain, we're able to draw on the mercy, the grace, the love, the hope, the peace that you provide in your spirit. We pray these things in the name of Jesus and all who believe say, bless up.